This week we are talking through, um, we're still in this series, Rooted. And we are just looking at, um, really the purpose is just the look at the elements, the foundations of the life of a disciple maker. Like what are like the, what are the ingredients to have deep roots in the ways of Jesus for the purpose of bearing fruits of making disciples? And lastly, we looked at uh, what, what is really the heart of being a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus, and that is hearing His voice and responding with obedience. That is the core of being a disciple of His. It's hearing His voice and responding in obedience. And today, but here's the secret of that. The voice of God is revealed already. The voice of God is revealed through Scripture. So when we hear God's voice, what you're truly hearing is the Holy Spirit illuminating the words of God from Scripture into your heart and mind and calling you to a response of obedience. And so today we're going to look at how to really investigate, study, learn, interpret the Word of God for the purpose of hearing God's voice. I think many times we miss out on that, that we go to God's Word to study it like it's a textbook. But the heart of a disciple, of a learner, of a follower, is to go to God's Word because that's where God's voice is. Does that make sense? And because whenever you hear the voice of God throughout your life, what that voice is is calling you back to these words over and over and over again. And hear this, if we have no roots of the actual words of God revealed in Scripture in our heart and our mind, we will not hear the voice of God. What we'll hear is the voice of ourselves and respond in obedience to our own voice. Does that make sense? So we must learn how to hear God through His Word. We must. And here's why. There's a few reasons why. Scripture says that His Word is active. Hebrews 4 says this in verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is living and active. Like we open God's word, and there is this real sense. It is not a, it's not a, a dead voice. Does that make sense? His voice is always coming through and piercing our hearts and our souls. That should change the way that we read God's word. It should change how we memorize God's Word, how we meditate on His Word. It should change all those things because it is living and it's active. Next thing, God's Word is profitable. It's profitable. It's not just living and active. 1 Timothy 3, you probably all heard this, you've been in church at all. All Scripture, all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. His word is active, but it's also profitable. What's that? 2 Timothy 3. Yes, thank you. 2 Timothy 3. It is, how do I say this? This is kind of a trite word. It's necessary for your life. That sounds a little too soft to me, but it's what's in my head right now. It's necessary. It's, 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 it's the nutrients of a follower of Jesus, right? It's living, it's active, it's, all, it's at work. 
it's working, but it's also good and right and profitable and necessary to have deep roots and to grow into Him. It says here to be complete. Listen, many times in our lives we feel this sense of just, we're just off. And many times, and we're going to see this in Psalm 1 in a minute, it's because the roots of our life, the foundation of our life, is not on God's Word. It's on all kinds of voices in our life. So His Word's active, His Word's profitable, His Word is the foundation for true life. Psalm 1. I feel like I've been in this passage all summer for myself, but it's, it's just good. Blessed is the man, which really just means happy is the man. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This man, the blessed man, the happy man, his, his primary voice in his life is not the world's. It's not his own. But his delight, what, what brings him life, and joy and happiness is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night you see this picture of this rooted abundant life person right their life is rooted deep into the ways and the words of Jesus through his law and on his law he meditates that means he just is literally drinking in his word over and over and over and over and over in verse 3 he is like a tree Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Listen, the Word of God is the foundation for everything in our life. And that cannot be overstated. It cannot be. You think about this eternal, holy, perfect God revealed Himself through this Word. That is miraculous. We want miracles all the time. We want to see miracles and hear miracles, and I'm all for miracles. Uh, our, the, the word that we're given is completely a miracle. Does that make sense? And that should change the way that we go to God's word. We go to God's word to hear from God. We go to his word to hear from him. It's living and active. If this is the case, if we go to God's word to hear from God, then we must know, we must know how to read how to interpret, and how to apply God's Word to our life. As a, as a disciple maker, as a learner, a follower of Jesus, we must know how to read, interpret, and apply His Word through our life. That's one of the primary functions for us. Another way of saying this is that we just need, we need good hermeneutics. We need good hermeneutics. That's a big, fancy word. But hermeneutics simply means it's a method of interpretation especially of the Bible or literary text. It's a method of interpretation that we must have a good way of interpreting God's Word. Here's the deal. We don't create the meaning of the text, which many times we go and we do that, correct? We go, we bring in, listen, when you go to God's Word, be aware of this. You have preconceived notions and you have baggage. I do, you do, we do, we're human. We come into a text, and one of the fights we have, we must not apply the meaning to the text. Rather, we seek to find the meaning that is already there. I want to, you know this, I want to remind you. The Bible, each book, letter, story, was written to a specific biblical audience. It had a very specific meaning for them. Now, here's the issue. We cannot apply the meaning for the ancient audience directly to us. 
because, as you see in your little image there, there's a big river that separates us from the biblical audience. I'm not going to draw that, I promise you. I'm not going to try to draw that. The biblical audience and, uh, and us today. There is a wide river of differences. There's culture. There's just time. There's situation. What they're walking through, those people. There's covenant in the Old Testament. They have a, a different covenant than we have today. There's differences that we must reckon with when we study and interpret God's Word. So here's what tends to happen sometimes, is there these extremes, right? So I will say this. Um, many of us, myself included, um, we have not done a good job at interpreting the text in our lives. We've had bad interpretation, and what happens there is that we have this bad interpretation, and we have this shallow view of God. So what we really have, we don't hear God's voice in the text, what He's trying to teach, we have our voice in the text through bad interpretation. And we have this shallow Christian life. Because we're not truly reading and meditating on the true words of God. What we're really doing is applying our lives to the text, and we're not hearing from God. We're hearing from ourselves. Or we're hearing from culture. They're both bad. Our voice and the voice of culture are both bad. We're looking for the voice of God. Now, the other end of the spectrum is this right here. That we have good hermeneutics. We have good interpretation. And we, and we see clearly what God's Word means. And we know what God's words mean. But we learn this for the sake of just knowing about the Bible. And we never apply God's Word. That right there develops a hard heart. That is not hearing and responding to the voice of God. What we're after is to have good and right interpretation of the Bible, to see what God truly said to this audience, and then to find the theological principle in the text and then apply that to our lives. What we see then is a deep faith, but also a soft-hearted faith. Because as you hear from God and apply His Word, you don't apply it with pride. You apply it with great humility because God's word, what does our, our kid's Bible say, Jesus' story Bible? Every story whispers his name. What we see in the text, as you truly find the meaning, is that Jesus is alive, is living and active throughout all of Scripture. And as we see God's word, what we see is we see man then and man today who fall woefully short of God's revealed voice, correct? And it should lead us to run to the Savior as we apply God's word. It should create deep humility and a soft heart, but also a deep faith because we know who God really is. One of the hope for a pastor, for myself, for you guys, is for us to know simply how to read God's Word. I can't tell you how many times people have told me, I don't know how to read God's Word. And so today, our hope is to give, you know, not a, listen, we're not going to teach full hermeneutics in 30 minutes. That's not going to happen. But I hope today we have a, a, a bit of a grasp on how to read and study, interpret, and apply God's Word. So, what we're going to walk through today, what we need is a method to find God's voice in every passage of Scripture. Remember, in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. Not just our favorite passages, right? It's all God-breathed. Even the hard ones are God-breathed. So, we need, we're going to walk through this interpretive journey. Forgive the cheesiness for a minute, um, but it helps us understand this. Um, this is adapted from a book I read called Grasping God's Word. It's a bit heavy, but it's very helpful if you want to move further into study of how to interpret God's Word. 
grasping God's word. This is adapted from that. So the first step that we must take as we read a passage is we must grasp the text in their town. In the town of the biblical audience. So the question we ask is, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? What did it mean to them thousands of years ago? Why was this written? Here's how we do this. You open your Bible. <laughs> uh, you read the text. And 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 you read the text. I would encourage you, as you read God's Word, do not run right to a commentary. Right? Just read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Be curious about what, what God's doing here. What is God trying to teach these people? Ask those kind of, kinds of questions. Read carefully and observe it. Try and see whatever you can see in the text. Look, look, look again. Scrutinize the grammar. Analyze the words. One of the greatest advice I've ever been given about reading the Bible is to be curious. The heart of a disciple of Jesus is the heart of a learner. We talked earlier about how God's Word is living and active. It's profitable. It's the foundation for life. That should lead us, in a sense, on this urgent quest for God. I guess the question I'd ask as we start this, is your Bible, is it urgent? I don't want to ask that question. That's, that's convicting. But it's, a, it's hard to ask, isn't it? Is our Bible, are we, are we really seeking God as we read His Word? Be curious. Check the historical, the literary context, because they're different. If you're reading poetry or if you're reading history, those are different things. You have to understand what you're reading. First thing to do, ask the question, who is writing this? Who are they writing to? Does that make sense? As you are trying to grasp the text in their town, who is writing this? Who's the author as best you can find? And who are they writing to? Why are they writing? What's the, what's the issue here? What's going on in this passage? One helpful tool is to check the passage before what you're reading and to check after it. That's why our reading plans are so helpful because you're kind of in this text for a season. Check the thing before it and the thing after it to give you context of what is going on here. So after you do all this, after you kind of Read, read, see what's going on in the history and in the, in the context and all these things. At that point, try to synthesize the meaning of the passage for that audience, for the biblical audience. Try to find the meaning in one to two sentences of what God's trying to teach those people. I would encourage you, when you write this down, be specific, not general. What is he teaching them at this time for those people? But don't yet try to move towards this broad theological principle for all people. Just focus on grasping the text in their town. Make sense? Grasp the text there. And as we grasp the text in their town, we move to the second step. Number two, measure the width of the river to cross. How wide is the gap from them and us? So a great question to ask. What are the differences between the biblical audience... And us. Remember, we're separated by culture, by language, by situation, by time, and often by covenant. This hinders us from moving straight from their context to meeting to ours. We must measure the width of the difference. Now, this width of difference varies from passage to passage. Some you read, a lot of uh, Paul's letters, his epistles, are a much smaller river 
than stuff in the Old Testament. You know, people, Paul's writing to people in the, Old, in the New Testament, you know, who are walking through sexual sin or, or walking through gossip. Guess what? In our church, there's people walking in sexual sin and gossip. That's an easier river to cross, right, than the Old Testament when the law is given down. That's a different and much smaller river to cross. So we must measure the difference and the width of the river. Before we, try, we start trying to like uh, cross this with a theological principle, we need to know how wide and how different things are. So in this step, we look for significant differences between us and the biblical audience. So if you're studying an in, in, in Old Testament passage, identify the significant theological differences that came from the life and work of Jesus. There's a difference there between what's going on in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we must know that as we read the Old Testament. All right, go to Joshua 1 real quick. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. And we're going to kind of walk through this text over the next few minutes and kind of walk through this process. So you see here in Joshua 1, really 1 through 9, the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land. Like that is what they're about to do. And Moses has just died. And God speaks to Joshua to encourage him. So some of the differences we see here, um, very clearly, we today are not entering or conquering the promised land. That's a clear difference between us and the biblical audience. Another one, we are not new leaders of the nation of Israel like Joshua. That's not us today, is it? We are not under the Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament, correct? That's three right there. This is a simple way you see in this text the clear differences between us and the biblical audience. We write those down for our study. Then we go to our next step, step three, where we cross the principalizing bridge. I'm not sure that's a word or not. It is in in grasping God's word. It was not in Microsoft Word. And so um, I'm not sure that's a word or not. We're going to use it anyways. Um, We're going to cross the bridge. Plus, it's really hard to say. Um, So the question we ask here, what is the theological principle in this text? His word is living and active. It is profitable. There is a theological meaning to the text. Here is the beauty of who God is in his sovereignty, his creative, orderly plan is that he wrote to an audience thousands of years ago for them. But in his infinite wisdom, that message has meaning for us today. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible how just the breadth of who God is, that this word was written to a specific audience thousands of years ago, but still has deep meaning for me today. But we must, with childlike faith and urgency, go to try to find God in his word. Here's the deal. Many times this is the most challenging step. Like we can kind of see how we're different. We can kind of see what God's trying to teach those people back then. But to then kind of have a broad theological principle, it can be tough. It can be tough. It takes work. It does. (coughs) Excuse me. Now remember this. The theological principle, it's part of the meaning. Your task is not to create the meaning, but to discover the meaning intended by the author. You're not creating a meaning. You're finding meaning that's already there. As God gives specific expressions to specific biblical audience, he also is giving universal theological teachings for all people through these same texts. 
So, to kind of find this uh, theological principle, we kind of go back, recall the difference, differences in step two, right? So we see that we're not entering the conquer, or, or conquering the promised land. We're, we're not Joshua. We see clear differences there, correct? Now we go and we do the opposite. We go and we see what do we have in common with that biblical audience? What do we have in common today? So as you look at Joshua 1, 1 again, um, let's look at similarities. First, we today are also the people of God, correct? Just like they were. Most of us are leaders of something like Joshua. If you have kids, you're a leader of something. If you have anybody in your life that asked you to learn from you, you're a leader of something. So we're all leaders on some level. Now, we're not invading the promised land, but we are seeking to obey the voice of God, just like that audience was, correct? So after we review the differences and we identify similarities, we go back to the meaning for the original audience that we described in step one. Then from there, we try to identify a broader, a broader theological principle that's reflected in the text, but also one that relates to the similarities between us and the biblical audience. Making sense? Y'all tracking with me on this? Okay. The theological principle is the same as the theological message or the main theological point of the passage. We'll then use this theological principle to cross over the river to application. Does that make sense? It's their town. We, we take this principle and cross over for application. So here, write this down. This is criteria for developing a theological principle in a text. These five to six things should be a part of your theological principle. First, the principle should be reflected in the text. Here's what that means. Um, if your principle is um, God loves all people or, or, or God says to obey your mother and father, that is a, a right thing biblically. But if you're in Joshua 1, that text is not talking about that. Does that make sense? Make sure what your principle says is reflected in the text you're reading. Because what, if you're doing that, it's very possible that you are projecting meaning onto the text and not grasping meaning from the text. Like I'm just talking in circles right now. Um, let's keep going. The principle, it should be timeless and not tied to a specific situation. It should be broad. It should apply to the biblical audience and to us today. That's a broad principle. The principle should not be culturally bound. Back to being broad again. Here's a very important, this next one. The principle should correspond to the teaching of the rest of Scripture. There's two things at play here. Uh, first, this right here. We must guard against, um, first being heretics, that's always good. Um, but if you, are, uh, if you find something that says, well, I can leave my wife now, that's the principle here. And you're way off somewhere in your interpretation, Right? that we must guard against, is this contradicted somewhere else in Scripture? Is my principle, is it wrong? This is where theology is important, have a basic understanding of systematic theology, to know these things, to make sure we're guarding against being heresies. Second thing, uh, as we find the meaning in the text, there is this sense that Jesus is the point of everything in the Bible. 
And if our theological principles are, are just re- void and removed of, of the work of Jesus, there's a small problem in our principle. I'm not saying it has to be explicit every time, but there should be this whisper, this echo of Christ throughout Scripture. Does that make sense? As we read and interpret his word. Last, the principle should be relevant to both the biblical audience and the contemporary audience. So we find this principle, and then we write this out. There's this one to two sentence phrase. We write out this theological principle. And then we move to step four. We apply the text in our town. We're not just trying to find the meaning for the purpose of growing theologically. It's not a bad or a wrong thing. But listen, grasping God's word is primarily about seeking and hearing God's voice, not just getting knowledge about God. So the question we ask, how should individual Christians today live out the theological principles? So we have this timeless principle. Well, how do we today live this out? Listen, we cannot leave this principle in the abstract for us simply to know and honestly feel superior and smarter than everybody else. We cannot do that. This is what leads to spiritual pride and hard hearts, right? If there is never application, there is never that step in our lives. We are woefully short, woefully short. So how do we apply this into real life? Now, while each each passage will usually only have a few, many times just one theological principle, there will be numerous application possibilities. There's one principle. Even on your image, it shows you this kind of multiple paths and application. There's this broad principle, but multiple applications. Remind you, we're seeking to hear the voice of God. We're seeking God in this and to respond with obedience. A great practice when we discover this theological principle is to then walk around the circle. Yep, I'm going to write. Can I erase this, Tracy? I can, can't I? Okay. I'll blame you if it get on to me. Um, so as you discover the meaning of the, the, the principle in the text, I would encourage you, we walked through this last week, this process of walking around the circle of we first observe. That's what we just did. As we read God's Word, we discovered... Um, this principle and the word of God, what God's trying to teach people at all times. We've observed the voice of God at that moment. And at that moment, we must start moving around to application. So then we move to reflect. So, why? Like, what about this observation do I need to hear? What in my life, where is the sin in my life that I need to repent of, right? How do I need to respond to this? We reflect on why this is. What is the application for us? Then we discuss. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we discuss. We get moving around to application. We discuss. We plan. We find accountability to apply this. Then we act. This is the response of a follower of Jesus. Now I will tell you this. What I've seen in a lot of like Bible study type environments, we spend all of our time asking, well, what does this text mean to you? What does this text mean? There is 
one meaning to a text, right? We just discovered that. God has a principle for this passage, this text, that we're discovering, we're observing. And here's what we really need to do. We need to learn to discuss how to apply God's Word. This should change the way that we live in community, that we should spend less time discussing the meaning of a text. We should teach the meaning of the text and then spend a lot of time discussing how we're going to apply this to our lives. When we hear God's Word, it's living and active. It's sharp, right? It cuts at us. It changes us. It molds us. It shapes us. It sanctifies us, correct? We need to discuss how to apply this in our lives. And if you're like me, I need accountability within that because I am weak, right? Iron sharpens iron. That's the beauty of God's Word. And remember, the the point here is we go to God's Word. We're going to God's Word to find God. And as we find God with humble, childlike faith, we respond to His voice with obedience. That is the whole purpose of why we're here and what we're doing. If we don't take the time to prayerfully consider what God is saying to us through His Word and respond to obedience, we can become a very cold Christian. Let's go to Joshua 1 real quick. And we're going to kind of walk through this passage and just go through all the steps here of what this can look like. I'm going to go ahead and read Joshua 1 to us, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, assistant, excuse me, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is wherever you go. Step one. What did this text mean to the biblical audience? Well, I'm just going to walk through just this very quickly. We don't have much time. The Lord commanded Joshua, the new leader of Israel, to draw strength and courage from God's empowering presence, to be obedient to the law of Moses, and to meditate on the law so that he would be successful in the conquest of the promised land. That is what that was intended for when that was written. Step two. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? I walk through this. We're not leaders of the nation of Israel. We're not embarking on the conquest of of Canaan, the promised land. We're not under the the old covenant of law. 
That's the difference between us and that audience. Step three, what is the theological principle in this text? Very clearly, here's what it is. It's to be effective in serving God and successful in the task to which he has called us. We must draw strength and courage from his presence. We must also be obedient to God's word, reading it and meditating on it constantly. Primarily, we find Jesus in God's word. There is this sense in this statement that's broad, right? That's timeless, applies to anybody. But it's from this principle that we then move to application. And now here, there's numerous right applications, correct? And for you today, there's applications, correct? As you hear this about being strong and courageous from His presence, that has application for your life and for my life. But here's a few that you could talk about. One could be, I need to spend more time on meditating on God's Word. So let's just walk through this real quick. So I observe this principle. I I reflect and I need to spend more time just digging into God's Word. At that point, what I really need is Michael, is Chris, and my group. I need to walk with them and talk with them about this. Like I was reading God's Word today, and I read Joshua 1. And as I read this, there's this, this idea that we find courage and life with God's presence. And so I've got to commit every single day to being in God's Word, to meditating on His Word, to memorizing His Word. But come Wednesday, I'm not going to feel this same way. So I need you guys hey, let's get a plan. How should I do this? Like, how should, should I do it in the morning? Should I do it in the evening? Should I do it once a week, twice? How should I do this? And then from there, hold me accountable. Text me. Call me. Get mad at me. Encourage me. All those things. Do that. And from there, we then and we go act. What I'm trying to say is this kind of life of reading his word, of, of finding the true meaning of what God is saying, and then truly applying the word of God in our lives should be normal in the life of a disciple of Jesus. And many times in my life, in our life, that is not normal. That's the exception to the rule. And my hope as we move forward in this, this becomes the rule, becomes the way of life, the life of repentance and belief, correct? That is the hope. So that's one way you can apply that text. Another way is, um, so maybe God calls you to some kind of new kind of ministry, such as teaching fourth graders in our, in our, uh, in our uh, kids' classes in there. Then be strengthened and encouraged by His empowering presence, that you know as you go out to do a new ministry thing or reach out to your neighbor or do this, that you must draw strength from God, courage from God to go and do God's bidding. So, quick recap of these steps. Grass attacks in, your own t- in their town. Measure the width of the river to cross. Cross the bridge with the- theological principle. Four, apply the text in our town. How does this text work out in your life? I'll end with this. Um, The life of a disciple maker, of following the ways of Jesus and encouraging others to do the same thing, I will tell you, it's a simple life. It, It really is. This is many times not complicated. It is very simple. But I'll also tell you, it is hard. This is why Jesus said, he said over and over about counting the cost that there is, in a sense, this death to us. But I think there's got to be this greater sense. Um, it goes back to the parable of the treasure that I read last week. That um, if we have childlike faith that believes we found the great treasure in God and his kingdom through Jesus, right? 
if that man 2,000 years ago really lived a perfect life and died and rose again, and we believe in that with childlike faith, we have found the great treasure which should lead us with, with really abandon to pursue God. If I told my son today, what would he want? A new video game, probably. That I was going to get you um, a, a new video game uh, today, my oldest son. Nothing else would matter. <laughs> Nothing else would matter. All day long, when we go in the store, when we go in the store, when we go in the store, when we go in the store. We go, it'd be all day long. Um, here's fundamentally, yes, we need to learn how to do this. It's always a worship issue. It's always a worship issue. Because if you truly believe it's the treasure, his kingdom, his gospel is where life and hope and everything is found. I promise you, you will learn to study and grow in this. Does that make sense? Tomorrow, you will not be perfect at interpreting God's word. But in six months, through childlike faith and hunger and abandon, because you want to find God, you want to find Jesus, because of that, over time, you will grow in this. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly, correct? Anything in my life I've ever done started with me doing it very, very badly. This is the same for us. I would strongly challenge and encourage you, and here's why. Because we find God in His Word. We don't find God just walking around. There's a bit of a, a movement nowadays that we can, we can do church, we can do all these things, and however we want to. Um, that's just simply not true. I'm not saying you can't go for a walk and talk to God in here. I'm not saying that. But if we are never like talk, hearing God from his word, we're not hearing from God. Does that make sense? On your walks and you're hearing from yourself. This is the foundation. This is life right here. With childlike faith, pursue it. Pursue it. Not just the Bible, but you're pursuing God and Jesus through his revealed word and the scriptures. Remember, we go to God's word to hear his voice and respond with obedience. There is life in you responding with obedience. There is great life in that. Think about this. Think about your life. Think about your family. Think about your neighborhood, your workplace. Think about your joy for a moment. We were in Psalm 1, right? Uh, that the leaf does not wither. If this was your life, like if you left today and you just said, I'm going to talk to a few people in my life and I want to make sure I learn how to read and interpret God's word. And then as God reveals and speaks to me through his word, I'm going to respond with obedience. Not because I want to be accepted by God, but because I found God. I want to be more like him and closer to him by walking with him. Imagine your life if that was normal. If like on Monday, you know, like you mentioned how crazy life is this week. Imagine if Monday of this week and Thursday of this week, you truly like talked with God and heard from God through his word and then shared that with other people to hold you accountable or to encourage them. What would that life look like? Isn't that a joyful life? Isn't that a preferred life over our life now, which is isolated from other people in the faith? and also not really hear from God from his word, we're like off on both areas most times. We don't pursue God's word with childlike faith, and we really don't apply it in community at all. Speaking chief of sinners right here, we're just really half-hearted about all these things. Imagine if you did pick up your cross daily and follow him with abandon, and you did that through finding him in his word and applying his word with others in community. That's a joyful life, isn't it? Also, that's a really compelling life. Your neighbors, your co-workers, 
they will notice something different about you because the way you live your life. Because you'll look more like Jesus. You will. And that is the hope. That is the hope of our community. And it starts with us at 5.30 in the morning when no one else is around. Truly going to His Word with childlike faith and hunger and pursuing Him through His Word. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. There's four uh, risk events, which is really just four next steps. They're called risk events because taking a step of faith is a bit of a risk. It is. It means you're going to give up something to do this. First risk event. Commit to reading God's Word every day this week. Commit to reading God's Word every day this week. Write down a time, tell somebody about it, set an alarm, and commit to reading His Word every single day. Second, every time you read, walk through the interpretive journey. Don't just read to read to get through it, but if we're truly seeking God, we need to seek what God's actually saying and walk through this process to try to truly discover what God is saying through His Word. Next step, discuss with someone how to apply this scripture you read this week and have them help you develop a plan and hold you accountable. Don't just hear from God, but respond with obedience in community. Last thing, share with someone about scripture you read this week and walk them through the interpretive journey and how you apply this principle of the text. I'm not saying get out and write these steps down, but help somebody see that God's word is living and active. It's not dead. And show them how God's at work in your life. Listen, this is the greatest apologetic you have is what God is doing in your life, right? That is, that's the goal and the heart of everything that we do. Let me pray for us.